0: New Year. It's hard to believe that we are already in the first Sunday of 2024. Um, I was thinking about that this this week, and I'm going to have a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 7-year-old this year. And um, man, I'm telling you, time flies by, doesn't it? Um, It just reminds me that each and every moment that we have, we have to relish it not take it for granted, but also use it intentionally for the glory of God. And I'm delighted uh, that I get to spend this year with you guys. And I know that for 2023, for many of you, um, it was a great year. Uh, You look back at 2023 and you hope that you can replicate that year this year. Um, But for some of you, it was a very, very uh, just long year. There were different ups and different downs, maybe losses and different things that you experienced uh, through 2023 Um, But here's what I believe. I believe that this year is going to be a good year, okay? Why don't you look at somebody and say, it's going to be a good year. It is. It's going to be a good year. And we're going to start this year off right, okay? Jesse told you about this a moment ago. We are going to enter into 21 days of fasting and prayer, all right? Now, 21 days of fasting and prayer, now I know that that might seem like a daunting task, all right? Some of you have never fasted and prayed a day of your life. Uh, So you think 21 days, that is a long time. Hey, listen, Jesus did it for 40. We could have asked you to do that, right? But we didn't. We're asking you for 21. Um, But here's the deal. If you've never done like a full food fast, don't try it now. You don't want to go 21 days without eating if you've never like pruned yourself for that. Uh, But maybe what you want to do is just skip a meal, all right? If you're like me and you don't eat breakfast anyway, don't skip breakfast, all right? That's not how you fast and pray. Um, But you might think, hey, lunch is a heavy meal. Dinner's a heavy meal. I'm not going to eat for a week. I'm not going to eat dinner. But here's the thing, as Jesse talked about, prayer and fasting are interconnected in Scripture. So it's not just about giving a meal up. It's about spending the time that you would have had to eat that meal with Jesus. Like spend that time with him and commune with him and connect with him and allow him to draw Closer and closer to you and you to him as well maybe for you foods not the way that you're gonna go maybe you do it for a week and a different week you do something else maybe the first thing you do in the morning is you roll over you pick up your phone and you check your notifications because you are addicted to social media and maybe for 21 days or at least seven of the 21 days you need to give up social media no TikTok, no, no Instagram, no Facebook, and you're already saying, I'm going to kill you, Trey. Like, you're, you're starting to step into my territory. Um, maybe that's something for you that you could say, you know what, I give, by the way, this is a great practice. You could, you could look at your phone and see how much time you spent last week, and then just spend all of that time this next week with Jesus. Might be worth trying, uh, because it's a lot of time as you start to monitor how much social media you use. Maybe today you're here and you're addicted to coffee. Hmm. And it takes you 30 minutes to do a pour-over. And you do seven, eight of them a day. Maybe you use that time. You say, I'm going to go without coffee. And you're thinking, my family would kill me because I'd be so grumpy. Um, and I'd probably get fired at work because I'd be so grumpy. But at the end of the day, that, that's what fasting and prayer is. It's drawing everything you need from Jesus. And it's connecting with him. And it's becoming more intimate with him. And it's showing him, yourself, and the world um, that he is indeed all satisfying and all that you need. So as Jesse talked about a moment ago, this is going to be something we're not ask, or telling you to do. We're encouraging you to participate in this with us. Now, for 21 days, I'm going to be asking God specifically for two things. If you want to join me in this, I, I encourage you to do that. If not, that's fine. You do whatever. But for 21 days, this is what I'm going to be asking God to do. I'm asking God to help our church grow in devotion to him. That's first. I want him to help us, that's you, that's me, that's all of us, grow in our love for Jesus. And then I'm also asking him to help us grow in number. So, I'm asking him to help us abide, and I'm asking him to help us bear much fruit. John chapter 15. So that's what I'm going to be doing, uh, so I hope that you'll do that with me. Today, we're going to be kicking off the new year with a new sermon series, a three-part series called Together We Are Family. We're going to be talking a lot about unity, and the reason we're going to be talking about that is because we believe, as a family, we ought to like each other. Amen? As a family, we ought to love each other. Thank you. Yes, we should. Uh, Why don't you look at somebody this morning and say, I love you. Hey, and before we do that, if if that's uncomfortable because you're a single guy next to a single girl or whatever, in Jesus' name, I love you. All right, you can go ahead and add that to it. That should make all of us happy this morning. So some of you dudes, you're like, man, Trey set me up. This is my moment. Um, it's not your moment, bud. Not your moment. Um, but, but yeah, but we're, we're going we're gonna to grow together as a family. We're going to love each other as a family. And we're going to be talking about unity, really, over the course of the next three weeks. Um, I believe that in order for us to experience the blessings of God, in order for us to experience the things that God has for us, it requires us to be a unified body. I would say it this way, unity is not easy for the church. It's not easy for the church. And you know this if you've been in the church for any amount of time. Unity is not easy for the church, but it's a necessity for the blessings of God. If you and I want to see God do more, in us and through us, if you and I want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, If you and I want to be a part of a movement of God like we see in the book of Acts, it requires that you and I be unified as one body who accomplishes the mission of God together. Now listen, don't be naive this morning. Okay, don't be naive. You need to hear this. Satan will attack until Jesus comes. Satan will attack until Jesus comes. Satan will attack your home. For some of you, he's doing that. Satan will attack your marriages. Satan will attack your workplace. But Satan will definitely attack your church. The church is God's plan A for how he wants to redeem the world. It is the means by which he wants the Great Commission to go forth. And for some of you, you hear that and you think global church. I'm not talking global church. I'm talking local church. That is God's means for wanting to redeem the world. He wants to use us. He wants to use you to be the gospel that our community needs and the nations need. He sends us out to do just that. He is going to, Satan is going to try to divide us. He is going to try to sow seeds of discord among our body. And some of you over the course of the past three years since COVID has been gone. You remember when COVID was here and you were like, I can't wait to get back with my body and worship together? Well, after like two months, that fizzled away, right? Like you're like, I can't wait for COVID to happen again so I don't have to see these people. That's how some of you thought. But that's what Satan does. He wants to destroy us. He wants to kill us. He wants to steal our joy from us. He doesn't want us to be able to move the gospel and advance the gospel forward. He wants to paralyze us per se. So you can expect that Satan will work until Jesus comes. But here's what you need to know about Satan. What he likes to do is he likes to sow seeds. That means he likes to cast seed. And then he likes to step back and he likes to spray some miracle grow on those seeds. You know what I mean? You felt some of this. He likes to sow a seed of discord or division in the church. And then he comes back through like he works for True Green and starts spraying some fertilizer over that seed. Because he doesn't want that that seed just to take root. No, he wants that seed to grow, and he wants that seed to take over. And if he can get it to take over, then it will destroy the church and paralyze its mission, and then all of a sudden the church is there, it just exists for no real eternal reason at all. And for many of you, that's exactly what you've allowed Satan to do, even in your own individual lives. You've allowed that voice that's in your group, that voice that you love, that voice that you know, to start being used by the enemy to sow a seed of discord or division in your life, about another brother, another sister, a staff member, whatever the case may be, and and because you didn't silence it or hush it up, what happens is he comes back through the next time and he sprays some fertilizer over it and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And and, and before you know it, you've become bitter. You feel divided. You don't feel like you're a part of the family. You feel like you're on the outside looking in rather than inside looking out. And we've got to be so cautious of not allowing the enemy to have any room to move in the life of our church. I would say it this way, we bring great delight to the domain of hell when we allow discord to exist between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to think about the gravity of what I just said. When you and I do not exist in unity, we bring great delight to the domain of hell. Satan loves to see you crumble. He loves to see the joy that you have in Jesus stripped away from you. He loves to see brothers and sisters in Christ separated, divided enemies. He works hard and he works overtime so that he can make that happen in your life, in the life of the church. This morning, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of the Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 133 this morning. Psalm chapter 133. The Psalms is an easy book to find. It's one of the larger or is the largest book of your Bible. So find the Psalms. You're going to find Psalm 133, a short little Psalm, three verses. We're going to read all three verses this morning. But as you're turning there, this psalm is what's called the psalm of ascent. all right? So God's people, they're headed into Jerusalem, and as they make their way up, as they ascend the hill into Jerusalem, as they're preparing their hearts to worship, they sing these songs as a preparation tool for worship. So they're, they're preparing their hearts, they're going into Jerusalem, they're gonna spend, spend their time there with the different feasts and the different things that they're gonna do, and they're gonna meet with God while they're there. And this is a song that they're singing as they're heading into Jerusalem, the town, as God's people. And what I find so interesting about this is as, they're preparing, as, as, they, as they are preparing their hearts for worship and they're ascending the hill into Jerusalem, they're singing a song together about what? About unity. Listen to this psalm, Psalm 133, verse one through three. It says this, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. There's really three things I hope that you'll notice in this psalm together this morning. First, I want you to see the call to unity. I want you to see the call to unity. Look here at verse one. It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers, sisters, when we as the body of Christ dwell in unity. Now, if you were reading this in Hebrew and you understood Hebrew, when you saw that word, behold, you would stop because the author here is trying to get your attention. David's the author, and what David is saying is he's saying, look, behold, how good and how pleasant it is when the body of Christ, God's church, dwells together in unity. That there's something significant about you and I functioning in a way that's unified under the banner of Christ Jesus. There's something beautiful David is saying about the body of Christ, the Christian brethren, brothers, sisters who proclaim the name of Jesus when we unite around a common mission. Now what we can't do here is we can't mistake uniformity for unity. David is calling us as brothers and sisters to be united, not to be uniformed. Uniformity is secular. Unity is sacred. Uniformity says that we all have to be just alike. We have to dress alike, we have to look alike, we have to have the same political ideologies, we have to have everything has to be alike about us. Whereas unity says something totally different. Unity says we have to embrace the difference. We might not be alike in all of these different things, but the thing that we are alike in is that we know that there is no other name by which men might be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. And we, we come around that mission and we work together to spread that great news to a lost and dying world. So we can't mistake uniformity as unity. In fact, Israel was composed of various tribes. And in these tribes, men and women, boys and girls, they had a variety of differences. You had different clans and you had different families and you had different people group. You had some that were young and some that were old. You had some that were male and some that were female. When you look at this even on a map, think about it. You have beach people and you have mountain people. You can't get much different than that, right? I mean, we went to the mountains for the winter retreat. By the way, we're still recovering. And if I, I know if I am, Corey, I know you are. But we went to the mountains for the winter retreat and we got on these back roads somewhere and, I mean, it just looked different. You know what I mean? These people are raised differently. I mean, they're rough, they're tough, they're just different. Um, But that's the truth. You go to the beach, there's a whole different group of people. Unity says that we can be different and we can still unite around something. And in this case, we're uniting around the gospel of Jesus. But who? Who is David saying needs to unite? Notice the word here, brothers. Now this doesn't necessarily mean biological brothers, though for the Jewish community, it might mean that. It really is referencing spiritual brotherhood. All of those who have placed their faith and their trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ was all people that are in the family of God. So brothers here really means family. Ma'am, sir, if you name the name of Jesus, If you profess Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, the boss, the ruler of your life, if you consider yourself Christian in that regard, you are part of a family of God. And we at Eagle's Landing need to understand this. We are family. We're not like a family, we are family. You and I have been adopted into the family of God, we are brothers and sisters. He is our heavenly father, and we need to exist and function like we're part of this family together. What makes you a family, though, is not the clothes that you wear. What makes you a family is not the neighborhood that you live in. What makes you a family is not the occupation that you have. What makes you a family is nothing like that. It's not the car you drive. It's not the places you go. What makes you a family is that Jesus is our heavenly father, and we've been redeemed and rescued by him. And he adopted us into his family. Listen to the way John says it in John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. He says it this way. But to, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? To become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but were born how? Of God. We are God's children. And because we're God's children, we belong to the same family. Think about it, or listen to the words of 1 John chapter 3. We talk about this a lot here. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. My question to you this morning is really simple. Do you consider the men and the women that are in this building that make up this church, do you consider them family? When when you think about church, do you think about church as being a building that sits off of Highway 42, that has brick and mortar and sheetrock and electricity and all that stuff that you go to, a place you go, or well, when you think about church, you think about the, the men and women who are your brothers and sisters that are united together under the gospel and the mission of Jesus Christ. How do you approach church? Do you approach it like it's the Ruiton Club? You come and you pay some fees when the buckets are passed, and you expect some return based on your, quote, investment. Some of us, we do that. Do you approach it like it's a concert? You know, you pay for your ticket, you give a little money, and you show up to spectate. And if it was good, you say it was good. If it wasn't, you say it wasn't, and you kind of carry on. Is this just a place where you can do social networking so that you can grow your business? You need some work, a lot of people, I can get to know people, get more work, grow my business. I mean, how do you approach the church? One of the things we like to say here a lot is that God doesn't call us to be consumers. He doesn't call us to be spectators. He calls us to participate and to get in the game and to be a part of the body of Christ. And when we're not using our gifts to serve the body of Christ, we're actually walking in unfaithfulness to the Lord. We see that in Romans, we see that in Corinthians. God gave you a gift, not so that you could waste it, so that you could use it, not for self-advancement. God gave you the gift so that you could use it for gospel advancement through your local church. So how do you approach church? Is this a family? Maybe for some of you, this is just a religious exercise. You've been doing it for as long as you can remember, so you just keep doing it even now. Listen, if we're a family, that means you're my brothers and you're my sisters. If we're a family, that means I'm your brother. If we're a family, that means there's going to be days where we have to walk through some things that are pretty tough. If we're a family, that means that just because you might make me upset or I'll make you upset doesn't mean that we just jump ship and abandon the family. If we're a family, that means that we have to walk through some hard things together. If we're a family, that means we're going to have to have some sincere conversations If we're a family, that means we're going to have to look out for each other. We're going to have to protect each other. We're going to have to help each other. We're going to have to, you you follow me. You, You see where I'm going. As a family, we have to function and operate differently than the way the typical American church or Christian does today. So what is God doing here? What is David doing here? He's calling us to unity. He's saying, you're a family. And as a family, you should look different than the way that this world operates and functions. We're going to get to that a little bit later. There's a second thing I want to show you. Not only is there a call to unity in this text, I also want you to see the source of unity. The source of unity. Look at verse 2. By the way, in verse 1 where it says, Behold how good and pleasant you do know that the Hebrew words there, It's basically saying something like this. It's saying, when we dwell in unity, this brings God great benefit. It brings his kingdom great benefit. It brings him great pleasure. But guess what? It also brings you great benefit and great pleasure. I love how Scripture breaks down like that, how good and pleasant it is. Not only to us, but it's good and pleasant to God when we dwell in unity. But there's a second thing, the source of unity. Look at verse 2. It says, It, talking about unity, is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountain of Zion. David wants us to know that the source of this unity doesn't come from within. The source of this unity comes from above. Notice there that he says it three times in this analogy. It's like the precious oil on the beard running where? Down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountain of Zion. Why is David painting this picture like this? He's painting it because he wants you to know that unity doesn't come from within. Unity comes from above. You look to God who is the source of your unity. You and I, as image bearers of Christ, now exist in a broken world because of our sin. We understand that. It has completely distorted the proper view of who we're supposed to be. It has disconnected us from God. In Christ Jesus, we're reconnected to God because of the finished work of Christ and the blood that he spilt on the cross to pay and atone for our sins. We get that. But at the end of the day, we now are in a process of becoming back into the likeness of Christ. You follow that? That's how we originally were created. So in this process that's now fragmented, We are becoming more like Jesus, who is what? He's unified. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He exists in the triune God. He's not fragmented. He's not distorted. Why? Because sin doesn't exist within him. He's never fallen prey to that. He's been tempted by that, but didn't give in to that. That's what separates Jesus from us. And we are now in this place where we're starting to be conformed back into his likeness. And we are most like him. When we are unified, because that's how he is. That's who he is, a unified God. But I love how David shows us that this unity, it comes from above. Downward movement is in these images. It runs down on the beard, and then it drips onto the robe. And he says in this dew, it falls from or onto the mountain. I want you to take a closer look at these two analogies. First, let's look at the oil. The oil. On Aaron, Oil was used in a variety of ways in the Old Testament. You know this. Oil was actually one of the most popular things. In fact, you know when the wise men came to see Jesus, what did they bring? They brought frankincense oil. They brought myrrh. Uh, So all these different things. It's used all through your Bible, right? Uh, But it had a variety of different purposes. Um, Oil was used for uh, medicinal purposes. Um, When people needed healing, they would use oil to try to bring about... Essential oil people, raise your hand, where you at? All right, I'm talking to you. Like, you should be feeding me back right now. Like, you got a virus, we're putting stuff on the bottom of our feet. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you, you got it. So that's exactly the way oil was used in the Old Testament. It was medicinal. They, they felt like it brought healing and that it would prevent from different uh, viruses and things like that. So they used it for that purpose. They also used it to detox their bodies for purification purposes, Um, leprosy or skin disease, when people had them, they sent them oil so that they could hopefully see that some of that would be healed. But it wasn't only used for medicinal purposes, it was used for aromatic purposes as well. This is like your diffuser at home, right? Some of you got a diffuser, you got those things that plug into the wall and they're on Wi-Fi, it's so weird. What happened to Glade? Like it was so simple. But you use these things so that your house will smell better. Perfumes and incense and infusions, aromatic purposes. But oil was also used for moisturizing and refreshing your skin. But in this text, David says the precious oil. He's drawing a distinction between any oil and the precious oil. And he says that is poured on Aaron's head. The oil is precious Because it's a mixture of oils and spices, you see this in the Old Testament, that's used for a very particular purpose. What's the purpose? Well, the purpose was for the anointing of the high priest. Aaron is the high priest. They would use this as a very special oil to anoint him as their priest. So what is this picture that David is painting? David is saying, this is a picture of blessing, it's a picture of blessing, but there's a second picture that he uses. And that's here about this mountain. It's like the dew of Hermon. Well, Hermon, I was talking to my wife about this because it's, it's fascinating once you've seen it. Um, again, I can't wait to go to Israel. We're not going this year, but can't wait to go. Um, when you go, you'll see that Hermon is this mountain. It's in the northern part of Israel, uh, but you have this desert, and you have this hot sun. Like you go outside, and you're just breaking out in a sweat. But then you look up and there's this high mountain that has snow on the top. And it makes no sense. But that was Hermon. It was considered the highest mountain in Israel. It's a snow-capped mountain in the middle of a very dry land. And because of the moisture of the dew from the mountain, guess what happened to the land nearby? It was plush. It It flourished. It thrived. This is where people would get crops and this is where people would go just to to get some therapy, to get away and just kind of feel relaxed and refreshed and refueled. So the picture that he's painting here is a picture of fruitfulness and flourishing. So he has a picture of blessing, And he has a picture of flourishing or fruitfulness. David is saying this is what unity is like. When the church is united, it will experience blessing, but it will also experience fruitfulness. It will flourish and it will thrive, not because of anything that it's doing, other than just being unified as brothers and sisters who are on mission together, taking the gospel to the ends of the world. But you know what's interesting about this? This isn't only true of the church. It is true of the church. But it's not only true of the church. This is true of your marriage. This is true of your workplace. It's true in your neighborhood. It's true everywhere you go, of any organization or institution or sport team. I want to circle back to where is the blessing and the fruitfulness coming from. It says in Uh, Three times, it's falling down. The oil is on the head and it falls through the beard and it goes from the beard and it goes down to the garments. The dew of Hermon comes down. Listen to what David's saying. True unity, like a good gift, like all good gifts, is from above. It comes down from heaven. Trey, you said that at the beginning. You kind of said that at the end. Why do you keep saying that? What's the importance of knowing where this comes from? Well, one, it makes the point clear. Like it's the source of our unity comes from above. It comes from Christ. That's the first point. But here's the other thing that I really want you to to dive into. If this is true, then unity is something that has already been achieved for you. It means that it's something that you don't have to work to do. It's been removed from your own effort, and it's all something that comes from him. In other words, we receive it from the Father. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. We simply receive it. Our only job in order to be a unified body is to walk out the gospel of Jesus, to live it out. As we stay faithful, we'll see that we're a unified body. Let me say it like this. I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to do it anyway, okay? You're going to want to write this down, or you're going to want to text it, Facebook, whatever, okay? Um, I kind of wish I would have started the sermon this way. The key to unity, then, is what? The key to unity is intimacy. The key to unity is intimacy with God. Listen, if we walk with God, and we stay faithful and true to Him, So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You're going to say yes to him, and you're going to deny yourself. You're going to take up the cross, and you're going to go to your brother or your sister, and you're going to work it out because you want to be unified. So the key to unity is intimacy with God. Because if unity is distorted or destructed, and if unity doesn't exist, then your intimacy is broken and you want to do everything you can to walk in intimacy with God so you're willing to do whatever it takes here horizontally to make sure your relationships are right so that you and God can be right. So the key to unity would be intimacy. It's not something we earn, it comes from above. So we see the call to unity, we see the source of unity, and here's how we're going to land the plane. This is where we end. We're also going to look at the purpose of unity. Why should we be unified? What's the whole point of today? Like, What are you trying to get at? I love this text of scripture. It lays it out for us. Let's read it again in its entirety together. It says this. Behold, look, pay attention, how good and how precious. It's good to God. It's good to us when brothers, the body of Christ, the church, when they dwell in Unity, it's like the precious oil on the head that runs down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountain of Zion. That's the beautiful picture, the beautiful analogy that he gives of this great unity that's good and pleasant, not only to God, but also to us. But now what's the purpose? For there, in that place, at that particular time, For there the Lord has commanded his blessing. This is a promise from God to us as a church. If we want to experience the blessings of God, it comes directly from him as the source, but it comes by us being unified as a body of brothers and sisters who belong to the same family with the same mission, going at the world with the gospel of Jesus. It's a promise. For there is the Lord, the the Lord has commanded his blessing, life forevermore. David is saying God retains his blessings for those who live and who dwell in unity. My point is the blessing here is contextual. We talk a lot about prosperity and the dangers of prosperity especially in Atlanta, we ha- we're gonna talk about this in 1 Timothy, we'll be diving into that book next. And there's a lot of false teaching going on, I get that. But there are some moments in scripture where prosper is mentioned, where we do experience the blessings of God as God's people. We also suffer as God's people, we get that. But the blessing here is contextual. In this context, there's a blessing in our unity, That's where the Lord has commanded our blessing. The word commanded here could actually be translated as the word bestowed. This is where He bestowed His own personal blessing, is on the church that's united together with Him. So when we walk in unity, the Bible is saying the favor of God will rest upon you. Church, this is not only for the body, it's also for your marriage, it's for your homes for your relationships, it's for your neighborhood, your workplace. When we walk in unity, the favor of God will rest upon us. Our unity comes from no other place but Christ himself. We are unified because of our great need for him. One of the most humbling things in all the world is to have to go to talk to a brother or sister about the sin that they are so easily ensnared by. And it's humbling because you first have to look yourself in the mirror and say, have I also been easily ensnared by that same sin? You see how this works? Now I'm not self-righteous in judging you. Instead, now I'm saying, man, I'm the chief of all sinners. I do this too, and I just see it in you, and I need to help you in this moment. It doesn't make one inferior and the other superior. It doesn't make me self-righteous and pure, and now I get to cast judgment, and you're the one that I'm casting judgment at. No, it puts us on the same playing field. And there's just moments where I'm not walking with God or drift from him and you're helping me come back to walk with him and there's moments where you're not walking with God. You might be drifting away from him and I help you come back to him. We need his grace, we need his greatness, we need his atonement, we need his resurrection. We need him, it's in him and through him that we unite. And only church when we yield to Jesus and the Holy Spirit will we start to enjoy the promised blessing that he gives? There's two things I want to say as we conclude. These are going to be short. Two quick things. First, unity is a gift of God to us. Unity is a gift of God to us. You know what I've learned about people over the course of my life is majority of people do not like confrontation. They don't like it. Um, Sinfully so, a lot of people avoid confrontation. I say sinfully so because sometimes we have to confront. That's what the Bible says that we are called to do as children in God. We confront our brothers and sisters. We correct. We rebuke. We help them through the word of God walk with Jesus. And when we don't do that, we're we're in sin. That's not loving our brother. So there is a part of this that's the most loving thing we can do is confront at times. But why? Why would confrontation be something that most of us don't like? Because most of us want unity. We associate unity with peace. We associate unity with tranquility. We associate unity with lack of issue, lack of problem. But well, the scriptures don't go there. The scriptures say, oh, you're gonna have problems and you're gonna have disruptions to peace. But you've gotta remain unified nonetheless. You've gotta fight for your unity, unity is a gift of God from us. It comes down from God as we submit our lives to him. We deny ourselves, we take up our cross, we follow him. We decrease so that he might increase. He draws near when we do this. So unity is a gift of God to us. Then the second thing as we end is this. It's a witness to a watching world. Unity is a witness to a watching world. We look most like Jesus when we are unified. The unified body of Christ, the church, is a visible picture of the glory of God that you and I worship. So when, I'm, I'm saying so when because I'm being a prophet here, okay? I'm not really, so don't take that too serious, I'm not being a prophet. You do realize it's 2024. You do realize there will be an election this year. And you do realize that we're only a few months away from the media and the culture trying to disrupt our fellowship. You do realize that things are going to start happening and things are going to start to be said to separate people, to divide people. You're going to have opinions. They're going to have opinions. We're all going to have opinions. But to, you, to stay united, we have to stay focused on Jesus, We can't allow the opinions and the voices that are outside of the walls of the church to start to suck us in and lead us down a dangerous road. You applaud now, and I love you. You applaud now, and then you're going to say, well, I'm pastor, say something about that. He said something about something else. That's what we do. And I'm kidding with you, by the way. I'm not being sassy. But I'm just warning you. I'm warning you. That there is nothing that will distract our purpose as a church more than listening to the outside noise. Drown it. Destroy it. And if you don't have the capacity to do that, man, just unplug your TV and literally take a bat to it. Like, just Don't listen to it. But we have to remain unified. When we are united, we paint in vivid colors a faithful picture of Jesus to this world. The world around us is going to say what? And the world is wrong with them people. Man, they like love each other. When everybody else is throwing blow. they're like loving each other. When everybody else is in an uproar, they're uniting together. It's because we realize we have the same need, the same purpose, and the same God who's done everything necessary for our guilt and our sin and our shame not only did he bring us back into proper fellowship with him as the one who created us, but he also brings us back into proper fellowship with each other as his created beings. And we start to look at each other and we say, you know what? We're all image bearers of Jesus. And as such, you have just as much dignity as I do. And as such, you have just as much worth as me. And as such, we are all valuable and we're all important." And we all need to live our lives in such a way that honor and please him and bring him glory. And we do that when we function and when we operate in a place of unity.